Well, the UN's political chief is calling for an investigation of massive civilian casualties and the destruction of hundreds of residential buildings, schools, hospitals, and other civilian infrastructure by Russia in Ukraine. Rosemary DiCarlo told the UN Security Council Thursday that the, quote, international humanitarian law is crystal clear in prohibiting direct attacks on civilians in military operations and ensuring their protection. Meantime, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky continued his addresses to lawmakers across NATO nations today, telling German parliamentarians of the urgent need to protect Ukraine's skies. Again today, U.S. Defense Secretary uh, Lloyd Austin stressed the decision made yesterday by NATO defense ministers not to enforce a no-fly zone over Ukraine. There's no... no easy or simple a way to do this. No, there's no such thing as a no-fly zone light. light. Uh, a no-fly zone means that you're in, in, a, in a conflict with Russia. So no no-fly zone, lots of condemnation of Russia's methods, Russia's attacks. But Vladimir Putin's ability to deter the West while continuing to wage war in Ukraine goes on. And that brings me to our next guest. Oral Brown is a professor of international, Braun rather, is a professor of international relations and political science at the University of Toronto and center associate with the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. I was reading through an article you wrote back in 2014 called Tougher Sanctions Now, P Putin's Delusional Quest for Empire, eight years ago. And I was wondering, knowing and having paid attention to Vladimir Putin for as long as you have, what do you think he's thinking tonight? He uh, has been surprised about the ineffectiveness of his own military, but he's not willing to admit uh, that he was mistaken in invading. He had, uh, in many ways, pegged the Biden administration correctly, that it would be weak, that it would not uh, arm Ukraine before the invasion. Uh, the Secretary of Defense talked about uh, the impracticality of having a uh, no-fly zone, and I think he's correct now, but that is because it's too late. There could have been a no-fly zone instituted before the invasion, but that wasn't done. And so uh, Vladimir Putin is not willing to admit defeat yet. We will have to see if Ukraine can hold on, despite uh, the heavy odds against uh, uh, those people are fighting so bravely and where the population is suffering so much, whether the sanctions really begin to bite and whether Putin could be removed by his own people or at least forced to find his own off-ramp. How likely do you think that is? You've talked about how Vladimir Putin views reality in your writings in the past, and it can be, uh, it can be difficult to figure out uh, from the outside. It, it, it can be, but it certainly is not, not impossible. He is not reckless internationally, he's ruthless domestically, but you look for weak spots, and Ukraine was a soft target because despite the fact that the United States had correct intelligence that he was preparing Vladimir Putin on an invasion, uh, United States allowed only a tiny trickle of arms. In, uh, Ukraine was starved of defensive armaments, and it almost collapsed. In fact, uh, we know that if the president of Ukraine had listened to the Biden administration the first day of the invasion, which was to evacuate, so you would have had the president of Ukraine run away, 
resistance would have collapsed and Vladimir Putin would be celebrating victory in Kiev uh, by now. And so it wasn't, when we look at Vladimir Putin's calculations that he was insane or utterly reckless, it was a miscalculation. It was a miscalculation, basically, of uh, the president of Ukraine, Volensky, uh, Zelensky, uh, and a miscalculation of the will of the Ukrainian people uh, to resist and of the ability of President Zelensky to rally the world. It was after Ukraine resisted, uh, after the conscience of the people uh, in the West uh, was affected by this extraordinary resistance that you see a 180 turn in the policy of Germany from a country that was accommodationist, a country that was refusing to provide even minimal defensive armaments to Ukraine, that had neglected its own military, that had become dependent on Russian energy, turn around and say, no, we're going to provide now defensive armaments to Ukraine, Uh, that we're going to increase our defense budget by 100 billion euros, which is larger than the entire Russian defense uh, budget. And so this incredible turnaround was not something that Vladimir Putin would have been able to predict. I have a feeling if uh, we had provided Ukraine with defensive armaments on a scale that we're doing now, uh, if uh, Germany had changed its policy before, if the other European countries in the West, like Italy, would have increased defense spending uh, before this happened, it may well be that Vladimir Putin uh, would have been deterred. So now that we're here and we didn't do that until now, and it's been a mad dash to make up for lost time, and there is already realities on the ground in Ukraine, where do you see the next few weeks happening? We have NATO meeting next week, NATO leaders meeting next week. The war continues to rage on. We're faced with images of civilians being attacked uh, day in, day out. We just heard from the MP from Mariupol before talking about what's happening in his city. Is there any way the West can try or allies can try to at least stem the kind of damage that's being uh, that's being done to civilians in Ukraine right now? Absolutely. Uh, and we have to start with a number of things. First, we have to admit the obvious, and that is that Western deterrence has failed. How do we know that it has failed? Well, if it had not failed, Putin would not have invaded. So, that is the starting point. The second element we have to do is to develop a strategy. We need to have a joint Western strategy. The only Western leader who has something of a strategy is Boris Johnson of Britain. And he said that Putin's invasion must fail and must be seen to fail. The latter part is especially important because that's where deterrence is restored. But Boris Johnson is not the leader of NATO. It's President Biden. And President Biden prefers to lead from behind, which is not a leadership at all. And President Biden seems to confuse leadership with unity. It's very good to have unity, but ultimately you also have to provide leadership within NATO. Third, there's much more that the West can do in terms of military help. We've opened up the spigot, but there's not going to be a no-fly zone because it is too late 
but you could transfer very quickly and should transfer very quickly S-300 anti-aircraft missiles that the Slovakians are willing to hand over, provided they are replaced by Western arms. That should have been done yesterday. It should be done today and tomorrow. There are the MiG-29s. The President of the United States said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. That would be provocative to Russia. Well, everything provokes Russia. The very existence of Ukraine provokes Russia. Vladimir Putin said there is no country called Ukraine. There are no people called Ukrainians. Um, Vladimir Putin said that the sanctions we're taking is economic war. In one sense, we are at war. We don't want to escalate it. We should not get into a direct fight with Vladimir Putin, but we should also recognize that, in fact, we are not in the West helpless giants. NATO is the largest, most powerful organization, political military organization in human history. It has lasted uh, the longest of any alliance in human history. It's been around since the late 1940s. Uh, It has been adaptable. By contrast, Russia is a remnant of a superpower with an economy that in nominal terms at best is the size of Italy's. We have resources that are so much greater. And so we cannot allow Vladimir Putin to dictate our policy of how we can help Ukraine. We cannot allow Russia to use nuclear blackmail. Where Vladimir Putin says that, you know, I am putting my forces on higher alert. Well, we go back to the Cold War. The reason we all have nuclear weapons is because there is a nuclear balance. It's not that we are helpless. NATO needs a strategy. NATO needs to demonstrably help the Ukrainians. Uh, The sanctions can only be effective if Ukraine survives. So in a sense, a fundamental question should be asked of Mr. Biden. Uh, and that is, are you trying to save Ukraine or are you restricting this to sanctions, which would be to try to avenge a Ukraine that has disappeared? One would think that our goal, first of all, is to save Ukraine. And that means as much military help as possible without involving our forces directly. It means that we have to up the sanctions A lot of sanctions have not been implemented. We can stop a lot of the uh, uh, the trade in energy that Russia is is conducting. We can do more in terms of uh, banking than has uh, has been done. We can do do more to try to dissuade China. And I mentioned three things, and there can be a fourth element. And that is something difficult to do because we are all concerned about the environment Uh, uh, There is a a real danger with climate change, but this is an emergency situation. It's a kind of uh, triage, uh, and we may have to suspend some of these measures to put more energy on the market to drive down the price of energy. Uh, No sanction hurts Russia more than lower energy prices because they depend on energy sales. I had an interesting conversation with another Ukrainian MP this week, Kira Ruduk, who said, Ukraine has a plan. We're going to stand up and fight against Russia. What's NATO's plan? Interesting to point that out. I'm speaking with Aurel Braun, Professor of International Relations and Political Science at the University of Toronto. When we come back, we will indeed talk about China. We understand there's going to be a phone call between President Biden and Xi Jinping tomorrow. I'll ask about that after this.
This is an opportunity for President Biden to assess uh, where President Xi stands. Uh, there's been, of course, rhetorical support or the absence of clear rhetoric and, and denunciation or the absence of denunciation by China of what Russia is doing. And that was Jen Psaki, White House spokesperson, talking about a phone call tomorrow, allegedly between President Biden or apparently in China's Xi Jinping. I'm speaking with Oral Braun, Professor of International Relations and Political Science at the University of Toronto. Um, Professor Braun, what do you make of that conversation? Clearly something uh, feels like an important moment, but not quite clear what can be achieved between those two men tomorrow. I worry about it because President Biden is a nice, decent man, but he has been extraordinarily ineffective in dealing with foreign leaders. If I were to do a chart of his conversations and meetings with President Putin of Russia, every time he had a meeting and had a conversation, things got worse. President Putin felt more emboldened. And in a situation such as this, where China can moderate Russia's behavior. Vladimir Putin has become increasingly dependent on China. And if China were to distance itself from Vladimir Putin, even slightly, that could have quite some effect. But the kind of conversation Mr. Biden has with foreign leaders don't usually end well. And perhaps an argument could be made that the United States should say less and do more when it comes to China as well. There are ways of signaling to China that if they provide sanction relief to Russia, they would be affected. And they are much more dependent on overall trade. They have vastly more trade with the United States, with Western Europe, with Japan, than they have with with Russia. And... uh, that may have an effect. The heightened rhetoric that has been used by the Biden administration so far has not worked. I mean, I mean, except for the fact that I, I do credit him. And I sometimes think what it would have been like if there had been other leaders in power right now. I do credit his his approach with at least unifying. And you're right. Unifying was great. And now there is a time where unifying may not be enough. It'll be interesting to see uh, what China makes of this uh, tomorrow. What do you think China's ultimate goal in this has been because clearly they're trying to walk a very delicate balance between maintaining their important trade relations, certainly with the European Union and with the United States at the same time as trying to leverage at least what's happening to their advantage, uh, particularly, I suppose, by having Russia come to them on, ben- on you know, come to them begging for help. You may recall that uh, Vladimir Putin was among the relatively few leaders who went to the Beijing Olympics. And uh, China made the most of that, that uh, the scandal legitimates uh, those, uh, those Olympics. And they issued statements that the friendship with Russia was unlimited. Now, it's not an alliance. If it's a partnership, it is not an equal partnership because China has an economy that is several times that of Russia's, and they know it. And they treat Russia like a junior partner, whatever Russia may fantasize in terms of equality. It also seems uh, uh, possible, and there are claims made by various intelligence agencies reported in newspapers, that China at least had a general idea 
about Russia's decision to invade without knowing the specifics. And if that was the case, certainly the expectation would have been, as was the expectation in the case of Mr. Putin, that this would be something quick, decisive, and ultimately beneficial. It turned out to be none of those things. And so there is disappointment and disillusionment in many ways in Beijing, I have a sense, with uh, Vladimir Putin. It also complicates China's own plans. If this went so badly for Russia, can they be that confident that should they move against Taiwan, it would go any better, especially since now uh, countries are more alert to the possibility that dictatorial regimes will engage in naked, naked aggression. So in some ways, China may want to walk back some of this friendship. Yes, take advantage of the great energy deals that Russia will offer in desperation to get their support. But at the same time, they may not want to be that closely associated with uh, Russia because so many Chinese companies have to sell to the West. They're dependent on that trade. They have to use the banking system. And there's so many ways in which it could be signaled to them steps specifically taken that can send that message without Mr. Biden being involved and perhaps saying the wrong thing. You will recall that he had a press conference where before this invasion, he said, well, if there's a small incursion, then I don't know if we could respond to that. But if there's an invasion, then we would respond. They had to walk it back. He's so accident prone that I worry about putting him out uh, to the the Chinese. I only have about a minute left. You've been quite prescient in the past about Vladimir Putin. Do you see a negotiated peace here or a negotiated at least end of the hostilities in the near future in less than a minute? Uh, It would have to be that uh, uh, Putin's forces suffer significantly more defeats and there's demoralization among his forces. At the moment, Vladimir Putin still seems to be convinced that through sheer brutality and through Western uh, uh, reluctance to get involved, uh, he can still crush Ukraine and he has to be proven wrong. Oral Brown, Braun, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you.